Cogito ergo sum, or I think, therefore I am. Rene Descartes. Mm, sure, Doug, but consciousness is just an illusion. Hello and good morning. It's Monday. I'm Will Morgan, and this is 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. Today is the fifth day of October 2015, and this is our 200th broadcast. Yes, and we are honored and pleased to be sharing that milestone with none other than Rupert Sheldrake. Dr. Sheldrake, biologist and author, is best known for his hypothesis of morphic fields and morphic resonance, which leads to a vision of a living, developing universe with its own inherent memory. He has written more than 80 scientific papers in 10 books and was among the top 100 global thought leaders for 2013. We hosted him here on 42 Minutes back in 2013 for episode number 70, and more information about his work can be found at his website, shreldrake.org. Welcome back, Rupert. How are, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thanks. Wonderful. So last week on the show, we, we considered dark matter and a scientific study of it in a very deep abandoned mine near Deadwood, South Dakota. But of course, this on our program mixed with the idea of a mythological underworld as an animating force. Where are you these days with the cosmological idea of dark matter? Well, um, the main evidence for dark matter is that um, it's needed to balance the books of physicists' equations. Um, I think basically what it shows is the current theory of galaxies doesn't work. Um, and making it, assuming that the um, coordination of the gra galaxies is uh, entirely gravitational, then to make it work, they have to add in extra dark matter, titrating in just the right amount to balance the equations. I myself think that um, it's a symptom of a much greater problem in cosmology, namely the wrong theory. Um, so dark matter is, I mean, I very much doubt if dark matter really exists. I think it's a symbol or a placeholder for our ignorance of what's really going on. Have you ever connected it to the underworld and dark matters? Well, I have connected it to the cosmic unconscious. So, you know, I I've, I've sometimes say that it's as if physicists have discovered the cosmic unconscious. Um, but um, I don't take the whole idea of dark matter too seriously, so, so I don't spend that much time speculating about how it might relate to other forms of dark um, understanding. Sure. And, and so from my perspective, it seems like cosmology and mythologi mythology aren't very far apart, and that... Uh, scientists think that our, our organizing story is science, but then I still sense a lot of speculation. You know, where, where are you at with cosmology? Do you have a particular thing that is making, a, a theory that's making sense to you as far as, you know, why we are? Well, there's, there's the bigger question of why anything exists at all, and then there's a lesser question, really, of what kind of cosmology we have. Um, I think the cosmology we have is um, obviously speculative, and the whole idea of the Big Bang uh, and the way that the cosmology is framed at the moment is based on a number of assumptions. One of them is that the laws of nature are fixed. They were all there at the moment of the Big Bang. So if you assume the laws and constants and throughout the universe are the same as they are now, and you crank back the calculations, the universe is expanding now, so if you crank back the calculations, it gets smaller and smaller, till it gets so small you have the initial singularity. Um, the whole of that uh, theory depends on assuming the laws and constants were fixed. I myself don't think they 
were fixed. I think they're more like habits. So um, I think the basic premise on which the whole thing is based is probably wrong. And then the way that the um, dark matter is added in to explain the behavior of galaxies means they increase all this matter in the universe arbitrarily. And then uh, the universe ought to be more massive, therefore it ought to be slowing down. In fact, it's expanding faster and faster. So then they have to add in dark energy to explain that. And so end, ending up with 96% of the universe, dark matter and dark energy, um, for which there's no independent evidence. So obviously it's a tissue of speculation, uh, plus the idea of a multiverse, which many cosmologists believe in, trillions, quadrillions of other actual universes besides our own. Um, so, you know, every story, every every culture has its story about cosmology, and we have ours, and it's a scientific story, but it's still very speculative, and I think it's bound to change as people revise their ideas. I think the Dalai Lama made the distinction that science is a process or like a set of tools, but that scientific materialism is more of a dogma. Has science for us become a religion? Well, this is the very point of my most recent book, Science Set Free. And I, I argue in that that um, the sciences are dominated by um, a series of dogmas, which are really the dogmas of scientific materialism. There are 10 basic dogmas. Um, which I identify in my book. I think all of them are wrong. Um, but of course, like the Dalai Lama, I think science is great as a method. I'm a scientist myself, and I spend a lot of my time doing experiments. So um, I'm all in favor of science as a method. Um, I just think that it's been hijacked or occluded, really. I mean, it's under the domination of this materialist ideology, which I think is holding it back. And that's why I call my book Science Set Free, because I think that by going beyond these dogmas, we can actually liberate scientific inquiry. And do you have hope that that could happen? I think it's already happening. I think there are already challenges to um, the dogmas of cosmology from cosmologists, and George Ellis, for example, um, and Lee Smolin. Um, uh, the dogmas of biology, of um, neo-Darwinism, are falling apart. Uh, they're, they're collapsing before our very eyes. Um, evolutionary theory is in flux at the moment. Um, consciousness studies has revealed the inadequacy of dogmatic materialism. I think we're in a state of remarkable change at the moment within the sciences. This past July, we spoke with Dean Radin about supernormal human powers, and he's using science to study, you know, what in the mainstream appears paranormal or metaphysical. Can you speculate as to where human evolution may go? Well, I don't think that um, these human, the powers, psychic powers that Dean Radin was talking about, I think most of them are not particularly um, at the leading edge of human evolution. I think most of them are abilities that animals have better developed than we do. I think they're part of animal nature and we're animals. So we have telepathic abilities and precognitive abilities and so on. Um, so, um, you know, Dean Radin and our colleagues, we both do um, research on um, unexplained phenomena. I myself don't like to call them paranormal because that implies they're beyond the normal. I think that the the ones I work on, telephone telepathy, dogs that know when their owners are coming home, the sense of being stared at, 
these are all very common phenomena that most people have experienced, and in that sense they're normal, not paranormal. Um, so I don't think they're necessarily part of you know, a new wave of human evolution. I think their existence has been suppressed by dogmatic materialism, and I think they are evolving. I mean, telephone telepathy, thinking of someone who then rings, which I've done a lot of research on, um, is, I mean, it, it couldn't have happened before telephones were invented. Um, but I think what it is is the adaptation of an existing ability, telepathy, to um, come into play in relation to modern technologies. To continue with that notion of supernormal, um, one of the, one of our recent guests, Dr. Jeffrey Kripal, notes that so in in terms of the type of you know I know that you're saying that you think they're they're just normal things, but he noted that trauma or tragedy is oftentimes an indicator of when these type of things arise. You know how does that fit in with your conception of mind? Well, I think traumas and tragedies sometimes lead to people acquiring rather extraordinary powers, you know, like shamans in shamanic cultures. Um, that can happen. But I think that the um, telephone telepathy and, and the sense of being stared at are actually very common phenomena. I mean, my surveys show about 80% of people have experienced them, sense of being stared at more than 90%. So this is not really related to trauma. Um, it's just a kind of normal ability that most people have to some extent. Um, I think particular kinds of healing power or intuitive insight may come more to those who have had traumas and tragedies in their lives, but um, I think there are certain of these powers which are common everywhere. And they're probably more common in children than grown-ups as well. So. Um, you know, I think there's a lot about our modern culture that suppresses these abilities. Okay, so after four years of doing this show with a keen eye on synchronicity, we've noticed something that Douglas calls psychic weather, which is sort of like an energetic current that moves through humanity and pushes everyone's buttons through media or so forth. Of course, an individual response to the moment is their own, but often we've also looked at, say, movie artists on the show. We just spoke to one very recently, and they have similar patterns that show up in their behavior on film with things that are seemingly unrelated. It looks like synchronicity. I mean, do you think we have arrived at a model or some kind of science of synchronicity and why it happens? Because at this show, we're pretty sure that we have enough evidence. Well, there's no doubt synchronicities happen. I mean, in the sense of meaningful coincidences. Um, they're very hard to explain because what science does is explains regularities. It explains, you know, things that happen on a regular basis, repeatable aspects of nature. It's not very good at explaining unusual things or the creative edge of where things are going. Um, so I'm not sure that anyone really has a science of this. Um, you know, one could say that there's um, a kind of spirit of the times, which the Germans call the zeitgeist, um, which influences lots of people. What well, maybe it's similar to what you call psychic weather. Um, um, you know, my friend Terence McKenna used to talk about the novelty wave. He thought there were periods when there was more innovation and change, and other periods when there was less, and this followed a kind of pattern. Um, and of course, the astrologers think that the quality of time and what happens 
is influenced by the heavenly bodies. I'm not into astrology myself, but that's one other school of thought that has um, um, you know, a, 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 an idea of quality of time and different things happening at different times. I don't have any firm theory of my own about this. I just think these are very interesting things to observe. They really are. And then one of the other things we note is this idea of zeitgeist is kind of informed by our technology. And, and definitely our technology has this, this kind of connected simultaneity to it. And so then the thought is, is the technology pointing at us what is already inherent in our mind? Or do you think it might be doing more harm? It's like we're stuck on our training wheels. <laughs> Oh, gosh, that's very difficult to answer as a general question. Um, you know, I think in some ways the technologies are very liberating and, you know, enormously speeded up information transfer and so on. Um, I think the main downside of the technology is the way that people are just it, not so much on training wheels as, as, as on a kind of treadmill of, of just trying to um, keep up all the time. There's such endless distraction such continuous uh, distraction and, and so as everyone's so busy all the time, um, I think it it does tend to stop people slowing down and just being in the present. Um, I mean, in traditional cultures, there was always at least one day a week in the Christian world Sunday when people didn't work, didn't um, do all the usual things. And of course, for Orthodox Jews, this is still very much observed on the Sabbath. Um, and I think this idea of having a, a part of one's life which is not under this pressure is a very good principle. But now we've gone the other way. We now have 24-7 everything, um, which I think um, actually keeps people on a kind of constant treadmill rather than a training wheel. Hmm. It's interesting because synchronicity seems to be one of these things that separates reality from like scientific dogma maybe. So even scientists have meaningful coincidence stories. Do you have oh, one? Yes. Gosh, I've got lots. I, I can't call, I mean, I don't know that one springs to mind at this moment. You know, I, I do write some of them down, but I, on the whole, don't remember them very easily. Um, hmm. I'm afraid I don't have a ready-made one that I can tell you now, but I can say I've had quite a lot of them over the years. Well, it's it's always so funny to me that where you have someone who disavows it, but then their whole life's work is built upon the synchronicity that they went to the bookstore and read the right book at the right time right. in their youth to put them on the path to being what they are. Oh yes. Well, I don't think anyone would dis. I don't know if anyone would disavow the you know that certain events are seminal and certain important things happen in their life. Um, I suppose the disagreement would be more about how you explain them and whether synchronicity is a thing or a process or just a way of describing meaningful coincidences. Hmm. Well, we've noticed, like we mentioned earlier about movie stars, that there almost seems to be sort of like a, um, uh, a re oh, perfect way to explain it, um, like a morphic resonance around an individual where certain things are happening around them constantly over and over and over. But then it sort of like in a way relates I've started seeing it, how it relates to teams. Like I often think about, what is it, the Boston Red Sox and their curse, supposedly, by uh, Babe Ruth. But somehow it seemed to work more in like a psychic field where it kind of dictated the outcome. 
And so we see the two related somehow, like certain symbols follow individuals synchronistically or the books that they are wanting are somehow like controlled by, I don't even know if it, but their consciousness for sure, but who they are as a story, as Kripal put it. Mm. And, and so when we ask certain individuals, do you have a synchronicity? We often find that they can't actually pinpoint because it's always a very interpersonal thing. And so it comes out almost like a narrative, like a, you had to be there or an yes. antidote. But that the individuality of the thing in itself kind of is interesting. Yes. And then the thought process of how that would, I mean, I hate to put you in a position of talking about magic, but the way that it's kind of bound uh, by language, what somebody basically pronounces or says they want to happen, happens like pushing their control or like, their will against events in their lives. I mean, how do you feel about controlling your own morphic resonance and things of that nature? Well, we all affect what happens in our lives through the choices we make and the intentions we form. So that's just kind of normal and straightforward. Um, exactly how it all works um, you know, is more obscure, but everybody has some control over their lives and what happens. Um, and some people talk about the power of positive thinking. I found that most people I know who are into positive thinking mainly use it for getting parking places. Um, <laughs> but um, the, there's also the power of prayer. I mean, many people pray. I don't know yeah. what the proportion is in America, but in Britain, it's at least half the population pray, even if they don't regularly go to church or synagogue or mosque or anything. Um, and that, too, involves forming intentions. Um, and many people feel their prayers have been answered, just as many people feel that positive thinking has paid off. And I think the, our intentions can have subtle effects on what actually happens. And um, I think, you know, I've, I've never seen anyone do a study of positive thinking versus prayer, but they're similar in that they both form, involve forming intentions. But one of them attributes it to um, powers beyond ourselves, namely prayer, um, and the other one attributes it to some kind of extension of our own minds. But they're both based on the principle of forming intentions, which then um, may have a, tendency, a greater tendency to come true than if you hadn't formed them. To take that a step further, I, I'm noticing that oftentimes it seems like the fundamental unit of consciousness is story. And that your theory of the habits of nature kind of plays nicely with that. Do, does that sound crazy? You know, the idea that that we're in a story, but that we're also consciously or unconsciously writing the story that we're in? Well, I think story is essential to human life. We all tell our own stories, and every culture has its myths, which are really stories of origins and stories that make sense of the world we're in. yes. I think we have to have stories, and science has stories too. The story of, you know, cosmology, the Big Bang, the story of evolution, and then stories about the history of science, you know, Galileo is struggling against the Inquisition, all those kind of things that are part of the mythology of science itself. Um, yes, I think we definitely need stories. I mean, not all our conscious activity is concerned with stories, obviously. Um, you know, if you're technical person designing a, a, a new toaster or 
a, a better computer or programming a computer. You may not be doing it all in terms of stories, and, um, but as a person living in the world, you need stories to make sense of reality. So what kind of stories can we look forward to you or from you in the nearest future? Are you working on anything interesting that we should look forward to? Well, yes, I'm doing a series of um, experiments um, which anyone can take part in, telephone telepathy tests. They're on my website, sheldrake.org. So that's something anyone can take part in for themselves. They're now working in the US, Canada, and in Britain. Um, I myself think the big story at the moment is the breakdown of the mechanistic worldview and its replacement with a new worldview about a living cosmos, a living, evolving cosmos. Um, and as you know, I myself think it has a memory uh, built into it. But I think this uh, transition from the metaphor of the machine to the metaphor of the organism, the crossover from the idea of a mechanical universe to a living universe, is the big story at the moment. And it's um, being worked out in all sorts of ways, in philosophy, in science, and in our collective realization we've got to change our ways because of climate change affecting Gaia, the, the living Earth. Um, so I think that's the big story um, uh, that we're all engaged in at the moment, and I think the program's probably part of it. Thank you. Yeah, and that was 21 Minutes. Thank you for sharing it with us. Good. Well, send me a link when it goes out. You, know? you bet. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Take us all right. out, Will. To, to our listeners, you've been listening to Rupert Sheldrake on ThinkBook Radio, production of thethinkbook.com. Information about the work of Dr. Sheldrake can be found at sheldrake.org. For more information about the ThinkBook, our guests, to check out past shows, or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thethinkbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a ThinkBook Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archives, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with hosts. All this and more can be found at thethinkbook.com membership. Special thanks to Dr. Sheldrake once again for the impact he has had on us as individuals, and thanks so much. And even your dog knows that the belief system that governs conventional scientific thinking is an act of faith. Thank you so much for doing this again. Okay. It was a lot of fun. Good, my pleasure. Well, I hope you're looking for employment. Yeah. Okay. You have a wonderful day today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.